Simple as that. How about I pray uh, and we'll get started. Father, we thank you for the Apostle Peter. Lord, we thank you that he's such a great example of a forgiven sinner. Father, I pray this evening that you would speak uh, to us through your infallible word ascribed through the hands of such a fallible man. Lord, I pray that it would change us and cause us to reflect on how you, perfect in all your ways, love your elect by giving us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Father, I pray that this will change the way we live for you from this day on. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, character, uh, it matters. Uh, it matters because it so often affects more than just you as an individual. Uh, the way you act, uh, for example, has implications for the school that you attend. Uh, it has implications for the university you go to or the workplace that you work for. And often these uh, places where you go will have codes of conduct that describe kind of the acceptable and unacceptable uh, characters that you are to embody. Uh, your character even has implications for the family that you're a part of. Uh, it matters so often because there's so much of what we would call a corporate nature uh, to the, the things that you do. There is a corporate impact to your character. Character really matters. Uh, let me give you one example. Uh, and if you're not a cricketing fan, I'm sorry. Uh, neither am I, but even I remember this and how devastated so many Australians were. Uh, in 2018, uh, there was a cricketer, famous cricketer, Dave Warner, who came up with this idea that they could use sandpaper to scratch off one side of the cricket ball to give them an advantage in play. Now, they were playing against South Africa, so this was an international match on the world stage. And Dave Warner came up with this idea, also known as cheating. Sadly, uh, the idea was acted upon uh, by one of the players, Cameron Bancroft. And there's actually footage online of him doing this. He was caught red-handed cheating in this international game of cricket on camera for everyone to see. Now, whether you're a cricketing fan or not, um, you probably at least understand the implications of cheating in any sporting event. Um, there's often scandals that follow this. Uh, when these sorts of things happen, um, it doesn't take long for newspapers to fill their headlines with a scandal. Uh, sponsors and representatives of the sport quickly distance themselves from the offending parties. Uh, and the institution itself, so in this example, Cricket Australia, uh, they swiftly uh, and harshly apply penalties. Damage control often happens in these situations uh, and things are published to the effect of uh, this inappropriate action uh, doesn't reflect uh, the values uh, of you know, Cricket Australia, for example, in an attempt to save the corporate image from the character of the individual in it. Now, unfortunately, the same philosophy, it applies all the way across the board, including the church, who's no stranger to character flaws. Uh, the problem here is that a Christian's actions, they don't just reflect the corporate nature of the institution of the church to the watching world. Uh, it actually has deeper effects than this. It affects, uh, to the watching world, uh, their understanding of who God is himself in many ways. And sadly, in this regard, uh, we have no shortage of examples we can give. Uh, Ravi Zacharias, for example, one of the greatest defenders of the faith, uh, he was caught doing and requesting inappropriate things on a regular basis with young female masseuses. Mark Driscoll and his punk rocker attitude to church discipline are uh, caught using dodgy methods of creating publicity himself 
uh, along with many other unrepentant and highly narcissistic behaviours, led to the downfall of his entire empire of Mars Hill, leaving tens of thousands of people stranded. Many of those left with deep emotional and spiritual scars to this day. This wasn't just a, a character problem which affected um, onlookers. It didn't just affect those outside the church. It affected those within the church as well, and some of whom were part of his church no longer call themselves Christian. Friends, character, our character, your character matters. So I think as we begin uh, the year here at KPC Night Church with uh, new faces, uh, a new face up the front, uh, new people serving in new and various ways, I think as we kick the year off uh, with all of these changes, it seems wise uh, to take a moment to dive, in, um, to dive into what it means uh, to have a Christian character, to see what it means to have a character that reflects the church and the character of God himself and why this really, really matters. So if you're a note taker, um, I only printed 10 of those outlines. I wasn't expecting so many people here and I figure half of you don't use the paper anyway, so I didn't print too many. I'll learn from that for next time. But if you're a note taker, you can write these down. Um, we'll be looking at how character is shaped by what has been done in Christ, that is looking back, how our character is shaped by what is to come, uh, the end of all things, looking forward in point two. And finally, how this new character, shaped by Christ, uh, shows in the lives of the people of God and ultimately why this matters, to give God the glory. So keep your Bibles open, uh, looking fairly intently at 1 Peter 4 uh, as we explore the character of the church. And we're going to start um, at point one. Our character is shaped by what has been done. Now, we don't watch um, a huge amount of TV in our household. In fact, our TV aerial is in the roof, so we don't even get free to wear. We've got to do things through the apps and all that. But the pandemic, uh, not pandemic, paramedic shows, very similar words, very different meanings. Uh, we tend to enjoy the paramedic shows, uh, where they strap cameras to the paramedics, they strap them to the cars as the paramedics themselves are on duty, and we get to see all the, the kind of nitty-gritty of what they do in all gory detail. And in almost every episode, uh, there's a patient or two who narrowly escapes death. Uh, this is either from physical trauma caused by street fights or falling off ladders or things falling on them, um, or from heart attacks and strokes caused by disease or ageing or other things. But the one common thread uh, throughout those in these shows that make it through uh, is this resolution to live life differently. They've tasted death in some respect and they come out the other end and want to be different people. Now, these patients are often profoundly changed by the experience of being saved by the paramedic as well. So they feel to some degree indebted to the person that saved them uh, because if it wasn't for them, then in most cases the situation would have been fatal. And so their character, it's shaped by two things. An acknowledgement of who they once were and an awareness of who they are now with this indebted appreciation for the one that saved them. Now, in the same way, Peter, he asks us to reflect uh, on these two things, on who we once were, and he gives plenty of examples, which I would have had listed on the screen, all the Bible verses, but they're not there. If you read through 1 Peter, you'll see them. He lists who we once were time and time again, and who we are now with an indebted appreciation of the one who saved us. And as he reflects on who we once were, uh, Peter holds no punches. So if you've got your Bibles in chapter 4, 
uh, starting at verse 3. He says, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what the pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. I find it funny sometimes that we, we think of 2,000 years of moral progress and you look at this list and it may well be describing Australia this year, in 2022. You see, Peter here reminds us, uh, in light of these facts, that it's only because of God's complete and utter mercy that we're now given new life. In chapter 1, verse 3, he describes us being born again. That in God's goodness, our sins have been cast upon Jesus' body on the cross in 2.24. So as we reflect on who we once were, we should naturally be driven to this indebted appreciation for the one that came and saved us. Now, this is probably not news to many of you. It's probably a really obvious point to make, uh, considering we, we say this every single week at church. Uh, but it's worth reminding ourselves time and time again of this fact, because the more we understand this, but the more that we realise that we are hopeless without God, we are hopeless without this a divine paramedic who, who brings us back to life, who revives us, who snatches us out of the jaws of certain spiritual death, the more profoundly this shapes our character, or the more profoundly it should shape our character and our attitude. The first thing we need to acknowledge is that we are saved sinners in the church. So for the first point, our character is shaped by what has been done. Uh, Peter draws our attention to who we once were, lost in our own sinful desires, and who we now are as a result of what God has done for us in Jesus. So that's the first point. The second point Peter makes is that our character needs to be shaped by what is to come. And this is point two in the outlines. Our character should be shaped by what is to come. Now, I'm sure uh, many of you would have seen Doomsday Prophets. Um, they've been around. I used to see them in Brisbane City quite a bit. Um, and they usually hold these signs above their head and that says, uh, the end is near, or a lot of, some of them use that archaic uh, phrase, the end is nigh, which means at hand, very close, just around the corner. We've had no shortage of people predicting Christ's return. Uh, Harold Camping had some billboards up here about 10 years ago that I remember seeing in Chermside and quite a few other places. And we often, when we see this sort of stuff, we distance ourselves from this idea of the end times. Uh, often because of the potential damage it can do to our credibility, especially those that, that predict an exact date and then we pass it and nothing happens. You see, just like uh, Cameron Bancroft and his actions tarnishing the image of Cricket Australia, we sort of distance ourselves from these doomsday prophets because they leave us on the back foot with our non-Christian friends. We get a bit defensive, especially uh, in front of our friends, uh, because we want to point out what Christianity is really all about. We don't want to be too concerned with end times. And yet in today's passage, this is actually one of the driving factors for our holiness and our character. Uh, Peter makes this point, point very clear. He says, the end of all things is near. And so what are we to make of this? Firstly, I think it's important uh, to define end times. Um, that's often the cause of a lot of this misunderstanding. Because um, in a nutshell, when we, when we misunderstand the end times, it actually shapes uh, a lot of our theology. It shapes a lot of the way we think about Jesus and the purpose of the cross. And so what I want to do is, just in a nutshell, describe what the biblical idea of end times is. Um, and feel free to talk to me about this afterwards or talk to one another. 
Uh, the end times, I think, as, as biblically described, is the time between Jesus' first coming and his return. So there's about a 2,000-year span that we've been living currently in the end times. And it's interesting because this means that we are technically living in the last days. The end is nigh. Uh, To some extent, even for us, compared to Peter, every minute that goes by leads us in some respect, at least from our perspective, uh, closer and closer than ever to the end of all things. But in saying this, we mustn't get bogged down Uh, We shouldn't be searching for signs of the end times or trying to equate God's perception of time when he says he's going to come soon with our own perception of time. Uh, We shouldn't be flicking through the pages of Revelation, for example, uh, trying to map world history uh, into its pages or trying to figure out what the mark of the beast is. Now, when Peter says the end of all things is near in 1 Peter 4, he's acknowledging something far, far simpler than this. He's acknowledging that Just as the milk uh, in your fridge has an expiry date, which for those of you living in share houses, you might need to check fairly urgently, he's acknowledging that just as the milk in your fridge has an expiry date, so does the earth and all the things in it. The end of all things is simply a realisation that there is a limited shelf life to the things of earth. And because we don't know the date or the time that Jesus will return in judgement, We're called to live with the expectation that he could return at any moment, at any point in time. I put simply, our character is to be shaped by the reality that there could be no tomorrow in God's calendar. Uh, My wife, uh, who's here tonight, she often tells this story um, of her high school years. Uh, She would have called herself a Christian. She had the blessing of being born and raised in a Christian household. Uh, But she had this idea in her mind that Uh, during high school, before she became an adult, uh, she could put her Christian life kind of on the shelf, kind of take it off and throw it off for some period of time. Because if she could do that, then she could do all the things that she wanted to do, all that her heart desired, uh, all the things that uh, perhaps God had prohibited uh, in God's narrow-minded, kind of egotistical rule of mankind. And only once she'd done all these things and enjoyed life, uh, really spread her wings... Only then would she put her insurance plan back into place and become a Christian. Only then would she get her internal insurance plan and sign it off, put it back into place. Now, thankfully for Annie, this didn't happen. Uh, But I asked her personally if she could share the story. Um, So feel free to go up and ask her about it. Um, But I suspect that this attitude of complacency, this attitude that we see in that example, uh, this idea that we can put things off to tomorrow, um, applies to all of us. I suspect that some of us think, well, this sin problem that I have, well, I can sort that out tomorrow. This Bible reading habit that I need to get in, or we can start tomorrow. Uh, Praying fervently for the church and our missionaries, I can start tomorrow. Because there's always going to be another tomorrow. There's always going to be time to do these things later. And yes, I want to make clear that, that we don't want to push ourselves to the point of burnout. Uh, we don't want to be groveling on the floor, not knowing what to do, because Jesus could come at any time. We do need to look after ourselves. But the reality is that our character today does need to be shaped by this idea that Christ could come at any time, that we are in the end of all things right here, right now.
Yes, Annie could have thrown off uh, all restraint. But what would happen if, if God had come in judgment at that very moment? And so this understanding, this realisation, this is what prompts Peter right after that statement that the end of all things is near to call believers to be alert and to be of sober mind so that you may pray. In other words, he's calling us to stay in the ready. He's calling us to have our lives uh, and our actions and our character shaped by this expectation of Christ's return, shaped by what is to come. Now, to be clear, we don't need to rush to Woolworths. We don't need to stock up on tin food and toilet paper and do all those kinds of things. We're not meant to panic uh, when we hear these words from Peter. But I suspect that panicking is not exactly what any of us are doing after hearing these words. Rather, I think many Christians in Australia in 2022, uh, as far as I'm aware, um, are likely to sit around more or less unconcerned when we hear this. We're likely to hear these words and remain on cruise control as we go along uh, with the rest of the world hurtling towards judgment. And when I say these things, I'm not saying them to to poke at you because this is something that I'm struggling with too. This is a personal fear of my own life that I'm living on cruise control as a Christian. So I'm preaching to myself here as just as much as I am to you guys. We're not to be complacent uh, in the gospel in light of the coming judgment. In fact, arguably, it's a complacency uh, which led to the devastating outcomes in the cases of Ravi Zacharias uh, and Mark Driscoll. I'm sure there's an element of that soaked in there. So if we have a healthy understanding of Christ's return, well, this should prompt us to holy living, to be sober-minded, as Peter says in verse 7, literally not not drunk of the mind, like it's clear-headed so that we can pray and do these things as a community Uh, that is ready at any time for there to be no tomorrow. And I think the deeper we understand this, the more profoundly it will affect uh, our character, the more profoundly it will reflect our priorities uh, each and every day. So we've seen two things. We've seen, one, that our character is shaped by who we once were and who we now are in Jesus. Uh, We've seen that it should be shaped by a knowledge of what is to come, as point two. The last thing that I think it's important for us to figure out as a church is what godly character actually looks like for us as a church, for the people of God. And this is precisely where Peter goes uh, in the final parts of the Bible reading today, verses four to eight. So it brings us to point three, the final point. Um, Our character is shown in loving service of one another for God's glory. In my early uh, 20s, I did a bit of church uh, shopping. Um, I don't know what I was looking for, uh, but I managed to get around to quite a few different services and styles of church. Uh, One service, I kid you not, uh, we sang the chorus to How Great Is Our God for three and a half hours, like literally three and a half hours of the chorus of that song. Uh, It was a marathon. I actually felt quite sorry for the drummer up the back. He was slogging away. Um, Another church I went to, uh, it was quite large. Uh, They had a very tight production. They had cameras, uh, fancy lights, international guest speakers on a regular basis. And I actually have no idea um, how this happened, uh, but I managed to find my way into one of their meetings. And there was a senior pastor of this church chatting with all the young adults and the other leaders in the church, and he was worried about the church. And I remember this conversation quite vividly because he used his own illustration. He said, 
for a lot of people, we're like the sizzler of churches. Do you guys know sizzler? It's the all-you-can-eat buffet with the cheese toast and all that. So this guy said, we're, we're like the sizzler of churches. And then he expanded on that, saying, well, people like to come here for a spiritual dinner, but they wouldn't eat here every night. They wouldn't come here every week. Now, this pastor, he was addressing a common problem in many churches, this problem called the revolving doors problem, where people kind of come and go from the church, uh, but they don't sit down and make it their home. And I think a large part of this issue is the consumer mentality that many of us have when it comes to church. Many of us insist on going to a church that, that primarily fuels our needs. And often our gripes with the church, if we have any issues with the service, is that it's not doing something that, that I expect it to, that I want it to. It's not doing the thing that I enjoy most. But the danger with this mentality is that you can very easily come to see church as a place of consumption, a place where you can go to disappear, uh, you can get a good Bible fix for the week, hear some good music, and then leave. Now, I want to be extremely careful here uh, because there's nothing wrong uh, with things like cameras. Uh, we've got one tonight, even, <laughs> unexpectedly. Uh, there's nothing wrong uh, with a tight production. There's nothing wrong with good music and dim lighting. Uh, there's nothing wrong with good coffee and good food. In fact, I think all these things is probably a reason why so many people attend these churches, because there is something about them that's just nice. There's something about them that just feels right. The problem is that in some of these environments, because of the way they're set up, it is so, so easy to become a consumer of church. It's more about the spectacle and the style. It's very easy to go simply for what you can enjoy from it and get out of it. But here in chapter 4, Peter, he kind of flips this whole thing on his head and he says, we're having none of this. His idea of the gathering of God's people, his idea of the functioning of the church is entirely outward focused. He says it's not about what you can get out of it, but it's about who you can build up, who you can love, who you can serve. And so if we cast our eyes over verses 8 to 10, uh, Peter lists a number of attributes uh, that the believers should embrace. Uh, things in verse 8 such as love. Verse 9, hospitality. Uh, verse 10, the use of gifts. And while we could finish the sermon uh, going through these things and deconstructing them, um, I want us to notice something rather about the direction of all these things in Peter's writing here. So if you read with me from verse 8, uh, Peter says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Peter's idea here that the church built on the foundation of Jesus back in 2, 4 to 8 is one in which every individual, every brick which makes up the church seeks to serve the other. They're not to be a consumer. They're not going because of what they can get out of it. Rather, they're going and they're meeting together as an opportunity to lovingly serve the other person. And I can say that from the very beginning um, in this church here are the things that I've witnessed 
Um, I just want to say as a side note, I am pretty blown away because I think you guys, particularly the young adults that you meet up, you do this extraordinarily well. Um, you foster a deep sense of community, a deep sense of servant-heartedness. Um, and in that, it actually breaks down these walls where you can really dig into the lives of one another as well. And for me, that's extremely encouraging because a lot of what's being said here, I can already see uh, coming out as fruit in your lives. But the extraordinary thing beyond all this even is that your serving goes much, much deeper than just helping one another out. You see, if you remember the illustration uh, right at the beginning of the talk, how Cameron Bancroft was seen as this representative of something bigger, this representative of Cricket Australia. That is, his reputation, his character, uh, his life in some way uh, was wrapped up in something much bigger than himself. Well, we as Christians, we're wrapped up in something much, much bigger. In fact, we're wrapped up in something much bigger than even uh, the universal church that, that represents every Christian on the planet, believe it or not. Because the church, the gathering of God's people, what we're doing tonight, this isn't an end in itself. Let me be really clear on this, right? We don't, we don't go to church simply as a way of demonstrating loving service to one another. That is one aspect of it, but that's not the end of why we do it. We're called to church, we're called to this loving service. And if you've got your Bibles, this is the one to highlight. Verse 11, so that in all things... God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So our character, both individually uh, and as a church as a whole, it's ultimately wrapped up in the business of glorifying God. We're a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves as, as individuals and ourselves as a corporate gathering. Our love for one another, our hospitality, our, our gifts, they all exist to glorify God through Jesus. That's the goal. That's why we meet. That is why our character matters. That is why the character of the church matters. And so I want to leave us tonight with a few probing questions, and I think some of these weren't corrupted, so I'll see if I can put them up on the screen as well. Uh, a few probing questions... Um, these aren't designed for you to throw your hand up or answer out loud or anything like that. Um, this is for you personally. Uh, it's for you inwardly uh, to think about and to pray uh, to God about. Um, I want to be extremely clear. None of this is meant to guilt you in any way. Uh, if you're feeling guilt, just ignore it. Um, you don't need to share your answer. They're merely to function as a surface-level diagnostic of your heart um, on the basis of what we've seen in 1 Peter. So the first question I want to ask is, are you someone who others would say is quick to forgive or do you prefer to hold a grudge? Are you the type of person who's eager to meet the newcomer in church or someone who's keen to hang out with the more awkward or difficult people of the church? Or do you gravitate towards your friends and other easy social interactions? Are you someone who uses your God-given skills and abilities to serve the person next to you, or do you use your skills to make you shine? And the last one, I don't have a slide for this one, is your primary motive 
for serving the church for the praise and glory of God through Jesus? Or do you serve the church out of guilt or to look the Christian part? Now, if any of these struck you on a particularly deep level, um, that's okay. I want to assure you that it is totally okay. Uh, Why? Because we have a gracious and loving Father and we have a Saviour, if you flick back to 1 Peter 2, 24, who bore our sins in his body on the tree. But as we finish up, uh, what I want to do is pray uh, that God would be at work in each of your lives uh, this year, uh, shaping your character for his good purposes, uh, particularly those of you who are regular and are committed here uh, for the purposes of Kenmore Night Church as well. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your church. Lord, please help us this year uh, to be one uh, that is marked by your loving service, uh, by our loving service of one another for your glory through Jesus. Lord, help us to know forgiveness when we don't live up to your standard, to find courage from the Apostle Peter, who was a prime example of someone who was quick to judge and slow to understand. Lord, by your spirit, help us to shape our character around the example of your son, Jesus. For your glory, we pray. Amen.